0: Today I'll be reading, Neither Shall There Be Mourning, Nor Crying, Nor Pain, by Static Underscore Saturn. This fic is rated mature. The pertinent tags for this fic include, Major Character Death, Episode AU 1520 Carry On, Alternate Universe Canon Divergence, The Empty, Angel True Forms, Heavy Angst, Reunions, Two dead guys in love in the void forever cause they're gay. Bittersweet ending. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Written by Static Underscore Saturn. Read for you by Nerdy Nerdenstein. When he is pushed back into one of the old creaking beams that supports the roof of the barn, he feels a pressure, a tightness not dissimilar to the needle passing through his ear on a dare when he was 14 and reckless. He remembers the slide of metal withdrawing and the sting of the chilly football season air in the shadow of the bleachers. He is not allowed to wear jewelry in it, the chances of it tearing out, tearing his attention away when an instant of negligence could mean his life his brother's life, an innocent's life. Too damn high, his father tells him. Too damn high to allow this small, childish vanity. The .7-millimeter tunnel through the soft lobe closes, forms a tight ball of scar tissue to fill the emptiness, a little reminder that even the most insignificant indulgences could be fatal. Dean knows now that this apparent wisdom was another means of control, He collects insignificant indulgences, like one might collect baseball cards, or fossils, or stamps. His pajamas have hot dogs on them. He watches children's TV. He bakes. He eases into an embrace. He feels the lump of tissue, smaller even than a pebble, and smirks. No, it's the big consuming desires he refuses to indulge in. His father never offered any wisdom on those, never had to. It is an indulgence to let yourself be cared for, even worse to seek it out. It isn't the wanting but the having, distracting, pernicious, that time and again prove fatal. The pressure is not dissimilar to the needle when he was 14 and reckless, but there is something different, something wrong, and he knows it instantly. He doesn't feel it, He knows something has pierced him, sure as a sewing needle through an earlobe, but there is nothing. Ah, he thinks, my spine. And before he knows it, he is indulging in a grand revelation, bearing his honest self for his brother, who is blubbering. And he tries to laugh at that, but it's more of a choke, really. You see, how allowing himself this honesty is killing him faster? He watches from outside his body as his brother pulls him, gently, gently from an exposed rebar jutting from the wood beam. It drips with his blood like a braggart, as if to say, Ha, it was me, I killed Dean Winchester. He smirks at it, smug with the knowledge that he was right. It feels good to be right. The reaper appears at his side like the prickle of being followed, but he ignores it for the moment. He is busy watching his brother, who he raised like a son, weep brokenly over his body. He can't decide if it was a kindness not to teach him his own broken lessons on the fatality of love. There is a tunnel from the rebar in the upper middle of his body that is unlike the hole he made in his ear when he was fourteen and reckless and full of life. There is a tunnel that will not close, will not fill or scar. It will remain empty. He turns to the Reaper, who surprises him by appearing as a child no older than ten, plump and flushed with blood. On her left hand, she bears a heavy silver ring. Death reaches for Dean's hand, and he takes it and opens his mouth to indulge in his last earthly desire. It is so big too big to ask for outright and to risk facing his hope emptied out like the innards of a spring melon. Instead, he asks, We heading upstairs or down? Death smiles, all teeth, eyes crinkling with excitement. jack is saddened when he senses dean's passing but selfishly if there is anything he has learned from his human experience it is selfishness he is also glad he was so alone so so alone without his fathers surrounded by angels cold and distant through no fault of their own and after so short a time he'll be loved again and can love someone again actively he loves his mother Of course he does, of course. He loves her so much it hurts, and he fills with something he thinks might be bitterness that she was taken from him. With stinging, burning guilt that he killed her. But he doesn't know if it is bitterness he feels. He cannot ask the angels. He already knows they do not know either. But a father, a father would know. Dean will help him understand. He stands at the gates of heaven, which are less like gates in the literal human sense and more like a pressure that fills what would otherwise be a void. It is not dissimilar to the portal he created at the time of his birth, his mother's death, a tunnel for the soul to traverse safely, with nary a scar left behind on the world. This is a natural gate, an expected one, that opens and closes when it ought to, The gates he's made have been terrors in reality, bringing death and void and their subsequent residues, which hang in the air like a barely perceptible oily stain. Dean doesn't come. He is in a state of panic, and he knows it is bad, bad, bad that he cannot calm down. The angels hover around him, pointing out awakened volcanoes scattered across the beautiful blue earth, his home. My Lord God, their emptying will mean devastation. Be at peace, be at peace. He hates the angels, and he tells them so viciously, and they flee before him. Where is his father? He is not in heaven or in hell or in purgatory. On earth, Jack finds Sam clutching at Dean's cooling corpse. It is emptied of blood and hollowed of his soul, not a drop of him left inside. Where is he? Where is he? He finds death in the emergency department of a hospital in Kiev, observing a pandemic mostly unchecked. She swings her feet in her chair in time to the chorus of masked coughs. Her face is flushed like she had just been running and playing in the crisp autumn air. Jack hates her, and he tells her so viciously, and she giggles as if to say, too bad. He opens his mouth to ask what she wants to know, but falters, terrified of the answer. Instead, he tells Death that Dean is not in heaven or hell or purgatory. That's true, she says. I brought him to the one place he'll never leave, and you can never enter. The plates of the earth shift and grind as he clenches his jaw, the land moving far faster with far more violence than in millions of years. He prevents the formation of a new volcano in the northeastern corner of the state of Ohio, but it is a near thing. Maybe there was always a hole. From a needle. From a sold soul returned and reborn. From a rebar. It is a lie to say that none of them closed. In the everlasting darkness of a cosmic void, Dean fingers the ball of scar tissue in his ear, smaller than a pebble. Smaller than his hope that he would be delivered to this place. But he's here and he can see the shadows of beings his mind can hardly make sense of drifting through the nothing, all spindly limbs and mismatched animal, infinities of close eyes and shuddering wings. Death still holds his hand, squeezes it, reassuring. The two of them walk for ages and ages and ages. There are more than angels in the void. Demons sleep here too, not dissimilar in their anatomies, but twisted, bent at the wrong places and smaller. Closer to something Dean can recognize and dissect, like the fetal pig when he was sixteen, the only boy unaffected by viscera. There is still a hole in his perception, something he cannot fathom as he passes them all by, suspended as if on invisible strings. He didn't mean to, he never meant to, but eventually he let his emptiness fill with love for his brother, his friends who lived and died, a child for his child, for he filled up with it, reveled in it, devoured it like a meal after famine. It healed him up, scarred him over. It distracted him. But all of a sudden, Oh, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter that his body is empty of blood and soul on the floor of a barn in northeastern Ohio, because off in the distance, hovering lightly, is the inconceivably beautiful and strange form that his best friend takes when he isn't filling the body and the role of a human man on earth. He doesn't know how he knows, but he knows. He knows that this is Castiel. All of his thousands of eyes are shut, the ones Dean can see at least, because Cass hasn't lied. He really is the size of the Chrysler Building, and there are dark wings folded in all directions, not quite covering the four serene faces that hang from limp necks. He's a vast, incomprehensible chimera, and Dean knows him. Death forgotten, he steps forward into the mass of feathers and arms and hooved legs and colossal paws. It seems endless, as endless as the blackness he traveled with death to get here. And at the center is something small. Dean scoops it into his palms, gently, gently, and it's warm. It's purple or maybe blue, and at his touch it glows slightly, the barest aura of a flame. It beats a steady rhythm, vibrates in his bones. Dean chuckles, sure there is a heavy-handed metaphor to be made here about the sacred heart. There is a rustling, loud as a hurricane shaking leaves into wild frenzy, and Dean clutches the heart to his chest instinctually. He almost feels silly, protecting Cass from, what, another part of Cass? But then a hand as tall as him emerges from the tangle of wings. It reaches forward, as tentative as Dean feels. One small, human-sized eye opens on the tip of the huge thumb, bright and blue and wide. Cass watches him, just watches for a moment, then begins to cry. Tears fall out of the one very human, very blue eye, rolling fat and warm down the thumb, and Dean can't help it. He starts too. He steps forward and leans into Cass's gigantic hand, holding tight to a finger as loud, ugly sobs level him. Anyone else might cry out to God with the enormity of their relief, but not Dean, who exists inside the palm of the object of his devotion. Cass, Cass, oh Cass, Cass, oh my Cass. There's no one he can protect anymore, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, so he lets go, and he loves with everything he has in him. Till it fills every hidden pit of his spirit, till he feels it overflow, till he thinks he can feel it repair the crack of Cass's chassis, until whatever emptiness he surrounded himself with in life to hold Cass away no longer exists, and the two of them cease to really be two. Something jostles him lightly in his cocoon of feathers. He is slow to wake, but he does eventually. Warm brown eyes peer down at him, and Dean recognizes Amara and frowns. You aren't meant to be here, she tries to tell him. Dean turns away from her, hands full of soft down. He is exactly where he is meant to be. Jack and Sam sent me to retrieve you. She begins again. Dean faces her once more, confusion churning within him. I have been permitted to leave with one of you. Dean might laugh if he wasn't so tired. So instead, he smiles at her and shakes his head no. He closes his eyes once more and burrows into the deep, deep well of togetherness he's grown for himself and Cass, out of the pit of nothing, out of pure void. There has been an emptiness inside of him, a hole made in the delicate ear of a child, and Cass slid to close it like the cold metal of a hoop or the lonely October wind. And he fit, and he stayed. Dean stays with Cass. He stays. He stays. The End Oof. Mm.